I think you need to be an expert in your field, whatever field that you are the compliance officer for. Captain Integrity Productions is excited to announce Bob Wade has joined the tier one ranked national law firm of Nelson Mullins, but we are still Stark Integrity. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the anti-kickback statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade, and I am your host. Today, I am delighted to have with me Steve Segru. Steve and I have known each other for quite a few years, uh, at least 15 plus years. And Steve uh, not only is the current chief compliance officer for a for-profit company called DOCGO, uh, but Steve has also been a compliance officer for a tax-exempt hospital system. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to talk to Steve about the development of compliance programs. So Steve, tell us a little bit more about yourself and also what you do for DOCGO. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here. Thanks for uh, for including me on these wonderful pub on these wonderful podcasts. So I'm the chief compliance officer for a publicly traded healthcare company called DocGo. I've been here for about two years. I've been in the compliance business since 2005. Uh, before here, I worked at two different large health systems uh, in New York and started in 2005, which is about the same time that the Deficit Reduction Act came out and compliance programs became uh, mandatory uh, for healthcare organizations. Yeah, and you've built compliance teams, uh, so you've stepped into positions where there was not a compliance function. So how do you build the right compliance team? That's a good question. The, the approach is different depending on the organization. At my first organization, we didn't even have a um, compliance officer or a board structure. So that was really uh, starting from scratch uh, for that organization. You start with a compliance officer. You make sure you have the seven essential elements covered. And then you make sure that you have the right uh, reporting structure up to uh, the board or the CEO, and obviously not to the CFO or to the, the general counsel as the as the OIG advises. And then you start your assessment and determine what types of other functions need to fill in the roles on your compliance team. From a staff perspective, obviously compliance programs uh, should be catered to the size and complexity of the organization. How have you faced that in the past from a structural perspective? 
That's a good question. So the compliance team works hand in hand with a high functioning compliance committee. There are a few essential positions that you need in your compliance team. You need the compliance officer who will provide the strategic oversight uh, that will help with the risk assessments, coordination with senior management, analysis of regulatory requirements. And then you need functions such as someone to liaise with human resources and the training and education uh, folks at the organization, because communication is a large part uh, of compliance. And then someone that can fulfill the auditing function. Uh, and auditing takes different, um, different faces. You have your typical compliance auditor that may look for fraud, waste, and abuse. And then you have other required auditing that a compliance program needs to accomplish throughout the year, like conflict of interest, uh, disclosures and, and follow-up, sanction screening, vendor review, and things like that. And I shared with my listeners uh, previously when I was first compliance officer, and this is back in like 1998, I thought that uh, compliance was all about me and I had to ensure compliance within the organization. And you you touched on this about having a compliance committee. And so the delegation process, uh, tell me a little bit about how you coordinate uh, that delegation process. So it's not just having the token compliance officer. Right, so a high functioning committee is very important. We call them um, ambassadors or our compliance committee members. And we have, um, more than 25 members on our committee. And a lot of the way the membership is determined is by functional area and risk area. I think most leaders in their different divisions are um, enthusiastic about being compliant. And when, you know, they're voluntold to be a member of the committee. Um, I like that word. Yes. Um, because there are some there's some areas that are just very risky, certain certain um, finance functions or human resource functions, supply chain functions to uh, certain clinical functions just by their nature will be high risk, whether you whether you measure that by SOX or COSO or some other means. IT is another good example, IT privacy and security. So those folks uh, are gathered and and put on the committee and it provides you with uh, some infrastructure to begin the work. And the work consists of them bringing issues to the committee and then the committee collaboratively working on the work plan. And it's sort of like a project management exercise where the compliance officer and committee every fall, for example, when we have our work plan risk assessment season, we look at industry trends, enforcement trends, best practices, best practice organizations, places like the HCCA or American Health Lawyers Association or Ethisphere and others, and look at what best practices are out there and then figure out a way uh, to adopt those into our operations, into our work. And that forms probably 75% of the basis for the agendas for the compliance committee. And then the other 25% happens through real life as, as things 
pop up on a day to day basis or you discover new risks or you get compliance reports or hotline reports and you have to uh, adjust and and um, and make arrangements to analyze any of your your new opportunities. In effect, compliance just happens. So it's, it's yes. those issues that pop up. <laughs> and I've said this before that uh, you know it's I always viewed compliance somewhat like that groundhog game in, in an arcade where you've got the big or whack-a-mole where you have that big mallet and your, your job is to whack the issues down, but a lot of times you whack one down and another one pops up. And so being flexible with not only the structure, but also the, to tackle issues, I think is is an important concept. That's right. And, and you know, one of the keys uh, in being a good compliance officer is to hire people that are smarter than you are. There's a lot of specialized areas. I think, and maybe I'm biased, but especially in healthcare, which is a very complicated business because the rules are different based on where you are, what type of organization you are, whether you're not-for-profit, for-profit, who the payer is. So the rules are complicated. So that requires a lot of specialized uh, talent. Uh, so I've been lucky in my career to hire uh, staff members who are smarter than I am, and then I'm able to use them as tools and resources to be able to uh, implement the compliance work plan in our compliance program. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about the compliance officer role. There are you've mentioned a lot of the organizations, and some of those organizations have certifications. Uh, tell me about the the value uh, or need. Uh, for certification if one is going to be in the compliance role? That's a good question. I mean, there are a lot of certifications out there. There's audit certifications and compliance certifications. I think it's important that the compliance officer have experience in the field that their business relies on. For example, at DocGo, we do um, ambulance work and mobile health care. I have experience uh, doing both. I think it's important for the compliance officer to have certain certain education, even more so than the certifications. I think it's helpful that the compliance officer have legal experience or be an attorney. There are many great uh, lawyers out there, such as yourself, that we call upon from time to time to help us with complicated issues. But compliance, especially in healthcare, is so complex. I think you need someone that has uh, the requisite education to be able to figure out those complicated issues related to finance uh, and legal. And then I think it's extremely valuable, more so than the certifications, but to be involved in the organizations that uh, give those certifications, like the Healthcare Compliance Association or American Health Lawyers Association, because that's where you meet really the best of the best, the folks that are involved, that are enthusiastic, that have best practices. I always find myself getting smarter after I leave one of the conferences because I'm able to steal information from from others and, and learn best practices and and take those back and adopt them. 
in, a lot of times I always viewed myself somewhat as a traffic cop when I was uh, in house uh, because it was more just orchestrating everything and directing and just ensuring. I have one compliance officer who uh, her mantra was trust but verify. And mm -hmm. so I always have to have the thing that if somebody's going to tell you something is so, then you can believe that, but you have to verify the accuracy of that statement. That's kind of the, the background of compliance. And you mentioned being multifaceted uh, with respect to your industry and your focus. So from a compliance officer's perspective, do you believe that the professionals uh, should have sort of a general knowledge? or is the development of expertise in a specific element of compliance also valuable to an organization? That's a good question. I, I think you need to be an expert in your field, whatever field that you're the compliance officer for. I think if you're a compliance officer in a healthcare organization, you need a strong healthcare background to be able to understand the issues and to really connect with your constituents. And now, let's say that we have a hypothetical call. I'm thinking about becoming a compliance officer. And so this is a question about where do you start? Uh, since uh, you have, have developed compliance programs from the ground up, um, what advice would you give me uh, if you're talking to me about, you know, where do I start uh, if I'm going to develop a compliance program or to be a compliance officer at an organization? I think if you want to be a compliance officer, you need to find a company that you admire uh, and try to get an entry level position there and sort of uh, learn the ropes. I think when you're trying to develop a compliance program, one of the first things you do is you assess the cultural landscape of the organization. Is it ethical? Are the, are the ethics uh, unclear? I've been blessed in the places where I have worked that the tone at the top has been extremely ethical, which gives me the resources uh, and the runway to be able to enact uh, an effective compliance program. Uh, the compliance officer, when they're building the program, need to look at your policies and your procedures, learn about who the key players are in the organization. You know, a lot of compliance is, is politics. You need to learn who the decision makers are, who the, the hard workers are, who can affect change in the organization, find ways to make improvements and build momentum, and then you can build your individual reputation. And it's a balance. You know, as the compliance officer, you're responsible to make sure everything goes right, that everything is legal and ethical, and we don't violate any regulatory guidelines, but you also need repeat customers. You need folks to feel comfortable coming to you with a problem. Maybe they, you know, really mess something up and, but you want them to keep coming to you over and over again. So it's a balance of uh, learning what the issues are, fixing them, and then making people feel good about uh, bringing you more issues. So there's a certain psychology I think that's important as well. And it requires a specific personality because if a compliance officer is too black and white, I think you can be effective for a year and maybe you'd be a better consultant. But if you wanna be an in-house compliance officer, I think you need to know how to work within the organization 
and that requires a little patience and figuring out how to navigate, you know, the, the paths to power and the paths to progress. Yeah, and if uh, listeners have not listened to the previous episode to this episode, uh, the person I interviewed from Ucomply was talking about the, that inner sales professional that is compliance, uh, you know, Steve hit it uh, with respect to it's a little bit of a politics. Uh, the other uh, person I interviewed was talking about, to, you know, you have to sell uh, compliance uh, in an organization. So I think you're getting at, at the same thing. Last question before we get to the three Captain Integrity punch points, I want to talk about ESG, uh, the environmental, social and governance. And all of a sudden that that is uh, being talked about as part of a compliance program. Uh, what has been your experience with that type of discussion within your organization? That's a good question. That ESG has always been sort of at, at the baseline of many organizations, but in the last maybe two or three years, it's become more of a, a marquee discussion. And I think um, it's a good one to have because it forces the agenda to ensure that organizations are doing good work in a number of different categories for the environment to make sure they're making responsible choices related to whether it's fuel usage or energy savings or recycling that they're respectful of the human capital uh, and the human asset and that is a, a strong stance towards human rights and diversity and inclusion employee well-being and mental health, a lower turnover, all those are are really important things. And then the societal impact. You know, if you're going to be an ethical company, what are you doing for society? What are you making better? Are you doing things for a disadvantaged population or people that need more resources? So this ESG approach, I think, is a is a great adjunct to a progressive compliance program because it looks at real life application to a lot of the theories that are involved in a good compliance structure. And I like your emphasis on the social aspect because sometimes, uh, especially when we get into like the anti-kickback statute and the Stark law, it's very challenging to provide services to that disadvantaged population, yet paying a professional uh, fair market value for their compensation. So there's always that balance there. So uh, I can see why this is becoming a lot more discussed in, in the compliance world. We're coming to the end of this episode and it's time for our three Captain Integrity Punch Points. So Steve, uh, if you can give us your three Captain Integrity Punch Points for this episode, I'd appreciate it. Sure, I think the three would be uh, number one is to hire people smarter than you and, and build a best practice team that could take the compliance program uh, to new heights. I think the second would be to always be relentlessly in pursuit of best practices, whether that's going to conferences or being certified or networking with colleagues, uh, researching. I think that's really important to always bring your program uh, to the next step. And then I think the third would be to seriously consider an approach towards ESG. I think environment, sustainability and governance, best practices, 
are important. There's a lot of new thinking and new resources out there, and I think those would be a great uh, addition to an effective compliance program. Steve, this has been a great episode, and I know that there's a lot of other topics that you and I can discuss on, on compliance development and uh, effectiveness, and we'll probably have another episode uh, that in the future where we'll discuss those topics. So in closing, can you give the listeners uh, your contact information if anybody would have any questions for you? Sure. My email is s-s-u-g-r-u-e at docgo.com. That's ssagru at .co.com. Again, thank you, Steve. And I've uh, had a pleasure working with you over the years and look forward to uh, many more years. I appreciate, Bob. I've always uh, appreciated your counsel. And if any of your listeners need uh, expert uh, compliance assistance, uh, Bob's your guy. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Take care, Bob. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.